Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part three of my conversation with Joe Tranquillo from Bucknell University. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. You are about to hear part three of our conversation with Joe Tranquillo from Bucknell University. Please be sure to listen to our previous episode to hear part two of this conversation. I know that you, you know, you had said that there are some things that are, you know, you're working on, but what I'm getting at, and then you had mentioned this a little bit before, is on process. Mm-hmm. To me, it it really feels a lot like to fulfill today's what a 2022 higher education institutions what they should be doing for 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 students going to a to a college environment you know spending four plus years sometimes you know at at, at a college um i think that that's the piece that they need they need more than anything Mm -hmm. um and that's also the piece that will propel them beyond the college years and having to deal with situations that we won't know about if they did have to live on Pluto um, or, 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 or to have to explore, you know, um, they may be the ones using a drone instead of a rowboat. Um, right. In, in yeah, future, absolutely. Right. Um, but, but they need to, they need the process of having done the rowboat now. Right. Um, and then in the future, when, they're like, hey, let's try using a drone to fly out there instead of just sending a rowboat. They are the ones who's going to be able to make that <laughs> jump, um, right? One hundred percent. I there's this weird feeling that I get at graduation right? <laughs> when I've gotten to know of a group of students, you know, for for you know, usually four years, uh-huh. and. I'm obviously proud of them. I often get to meet their parents for the first time. You know, it's a joyous day, right? You know, it's great. And the speaker gets up and gives this, you know, hopeful talk about, you know, the world and it's, you know, it's going to open for blah, 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 right? You know, all of that. And there's always this moment that I find myself having where I go, um, did I teach them enough? <laughs> right? Interesting. Yeah. As, as if it's a quantity thing. Right. And I always have to catch myself that... If it's about the quantity of things that I taught them, I've failed, <laughs> right? Because, yeah, there are, I think you pointed this out earlier, right? There are some core things that are, that are, if not universal, they're, 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 they're really important. And we suspect that they will be really important for as long as any of us can, right, you know, be around. Um, that's great. And hopefully that they got those things. But if it's just about what content I help them with, that's all going to change, right? You know, I'll, I'll teach my students our, our, how to program an Arduino, right? You know, microcontroller and blah, 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 and how to hook sensors to it and all that. In 10 years, the Arduino company may be out of business and it's not an Arduino anymore. So I can pull back the layer and say, well, did I teach them how to program a microprocessor? Well, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure microprocessors of some sort will be around, you know, past 10 years, right? That, that's a pretty common thing. But you can keep peeling back those layers of, you know, what if it's not a microprocessor anymore and it's a, some more distributed thing or we go to quantum computing, right? Like you can imagine all of these things that could become disruptive in the future. And 
as you strip away the what that they learn now will actually be left, I think you're absolutely right. The vast majority of it is going to be process. And, and, and I want to abstract that. And I know, again, I mentioned at the beginning that I majored in philosophy. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, an, uh, that's a natural place that I end up going, is not just the process, not just the design process or the whatever process you want to call it, but an appreciation that process and frameworks, whatever they are, can help guide you. Right? They can help yeah. guide you, and it doesn't matter what, where, where you are, um, or or what it is that you're trying to doing. That having a process helps you navigate uncertainty, and frameworks help you navigate uncertainty. And the world is not becoming more certain. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if, if anything, it, it, it certainly, at least it feels like it, like it's becoming less certain yeah. and, and, and the folks who, who have an appreciation, I think for, for frameworks and processes are gonna, are, are gonna be able to navigate in a way that, that the folks who don't have them won't, those other folks might get lucky, right? They may stumble upon some great thing, right? It's not to say that you can't, you can't survive in that world, but it'll be a little bit more by blind luck. Um, and so I, I think I, I, I always, again, have that moment at graduation where I go, you know, have I taught them enough? And I have to kind of catch myself and yeah. say, no, I didn't. And that's the point because in five years, a lot of what I taught them is going to be irrelevant, right? My hope is that they took away an appreciation for those lenses, for, um, processes, for, for, um, for frameworks and that wherever they land, they'll be on the lookout for what are the processes and frameworks of this area that are going to help me? You give them the capacity to, to, right. to learn and to, to continue right. to hopefully take some of those core values that you mm-hmm. instill in them. Um, you know, so that those core values doesn't, isn't just how you create a program or evaluating, right. you know, a curriculum, but it is something that they feel like it becomes an mm-hmm. important part of, of life. Um, <laughs> And having that said, I wanted to maybe ask you, I mean, as a, as someone who's, you know, an administrator and thinking about the future of, you know, students, and you talked about, even in the very early on, talked about, you know, like retention, engagement, mm-hmm. students and whatnot. Right. Um, I think that higher education, even before the pandemic, that is COVID and and when I talked to Eddie Watson from AACNU and the uh, previous, you know, episodes of um, the Education Scholars Conversations, he had mentioned that we're really faced with a dual pandemic, you know, COVID and racism. Yeah. Uh, but in other, you know, and, and people talk about all, you know, in different ways too. It's not always just racism. But it's also, right. um, you know, um, identity. There is also. Um, other kind of equity issues, mm-hmm. right? Um, there is also um, um, a great deal of other issues that we face in higher education, affordability, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, <clears throat> mental health. I'd imagine that in your current role, you basically are putting out fires in all those areas on a daily basis. Absolutely. You want to talk a little bit about sort of, I don't know, like, like, what you are seeing as being perhaps, you know, issues and what are some opportunities for, mm-hmm. you know, how you, how you think 
we can get get ahead of of some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can try. I mean, again, this is this is solve not entirely... world hunger in in thirty minutes. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it's like you know, <laughs> solve, solve all the world's problems in a, in a couple of minutes. So, yeah. um, you know, it it's it's not an easy task. Um, what I would say is there again to go to go back to frameworks, right? I think, um, and I've got this on my bookshelf somewhere um, nearby. I won't I won't go get it, but um, John Cotter, you know, business guru, uh, he kind of made his name by by saying um, he was one of the f- first folks that really called attention to the what is it to be a manager, what is it to be a leader, um, kind of really kind of pulling and dissecting those apart. But as part of that, what he did was to say, you know, being a leader is about is about change. It literally is about actually seeing change take place and guiding it um, to a better place, right? Making sure that that change is not change in a in a in a in a bad direction, right? But change in a in an intentional good direction. And he laid out, you know, like everybody does, right? If you're gonna you're gonna publish in Harvard Business Review and stuff, you got to have your right, you know your your, your taglines and stuff. He had like an eight step process. And, and I think there's a whole variety of them and I would forget them if I even tried to do it. I mean, you folks listening can obviously look it up, but step number one is sense of urgency. I think we've got that now. I, I, I at least I hope, and I hope that it's actually right. sustained, right? Because yeah. I, I think part of the point of that was a sense of urgency. That's just someone standing up saying we have a problem is, is not a sense of urgency, right? It has to be felt by by a significant number. So I, I think, you know, in terms of the direction of change, I, I think we have step number one. I'm not so sure about the other seven steps. Hmm. Um, I, I don't think some of those massive problems that you mentioned are going to be solved by some, again, silver bullet, right? One thing that's actually going to all of a sudden magically do it. Um, that would be fantastic and wonderful. And if it were true, hopefully we would have already found out what it was and, and it would have happened. Um, so I think it's going to be multiple different different initiatives in a lot of different places. I think higher ed plays a role in that. I don't think we can be the only solution to it. But what we're feeling is a much larger cult, socio-cultural, political, ethical right piece. And higher ed is a component of that. Um, so, you know, if we then focus just on the, on the, you know, the university piece of it, um, our job is, again, to go back to the very beginning of this, this piece, to have great citizens, Great to educate great citizens. Um, there have been a couple of folks. I don't even know who to attribute this quote to um, because I've I've heard it in a number of different ways and places. And that is, show me a really hard problem, and I'll show you how education is going to become a big part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID, I think racism, I think poverty, I think climate change. Right? You you name it. Yeah. Any of these really big problems. Um, there are going to be multiple things that will have to come together, but a big piece of it will need to be education. And I think, again, if you think about timescales, there are the timescales of the general population and awareness of of the issue. Um, Having enough folks out there that feel the sense of urgency, want to do something about it, right, and then then can take action. But the hope is long-term, if you have systemic education change, that this begins to 
change the way business leaders think, change the way politicians think, right? So change the way folks design new technologies, right? So that, that it, 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 there'll be hopefully a, a fast phase to this, which is about coming up with quick solutions that work in particular situations or on short timescales, but they're not sustainable. But I think the long-term sustainable piece of it is again going to be education and again being the global citizens of kind of kind of the world, but mm-hmm. it's just going to take longer. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of steepled. I don't know if you've you've heard that term before. Um, again, it stand stands for a whole variety of things, but I I'm I'm not sure if I can I'll be able to name them all off. But it's like uh, social, political, uh, economic, ethical, legal, um, right? So they're economic. There's there's a it's it's a framework demographic, and the idea is that that systemic change happens by all of those different areas kind of having their, if you imagine vectors, right? Little vectors all pointing, having the vectors pointing in in roughly the same direction. And so I think if we're going to, if we're going to be able to make actual real substantive change on something as complicated as racism, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to align the vectors of our technologies, of our politics, of the way we think about what ethical behaviors are, um, our economics, right? Those things are going to have to begin more or less pointing all in the same direction. Um, Again, I'm, I'm now like way out of my depth. um, But I think that, (laughs) that higher education can play a significant role in in educating folks to begin thinking thinking about how to align those vectors because if it's just i'm going to sit in my economic sphere and not worry about any other pieces or only sit in the technological sphere as i you know have engineers thinking um you you can't align any vectors because you're only thinking about your own right i'm only thinking about the technological pieces so Again, it's why I enjoy being at a liberal arts school is I have the affordance of teaching engineers and saying, you can't just think about the widget that you're designing. Mm -hmm. You have to think about this more broadly, um, about who it's impacting and what the legal ramifications are, what the ethical considerations are. Is it going to change something socially or politically? Um, How about the environment, right? So bringing in all of these different lenses as you design something new. Right. And I, I think that it is a um, it is so important that you you say that because um, some of your students may be the ones that will be working at Facebook, right? That's right. Um, this yep. is an example, and probably some of them you know do today. Um, and or and, or I know you have a thought. Yeah. Or they'll choose not to work at Facebook. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. But but my my that's precisely my point because <laughs> because you know I, I actually just saw um, um, the person I forgot her name now all of a sudden um, she's the one who created that report the whistleblower at Facebook who right. who said hey we had this study and and she was talking about how she was um, brought on to Facebook um, to. Uh, specifically, look at sort of inside of the U- United States how 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 these you know extreme views of forms, etc. And it turns out that you know she ended up being asked to look at everything but outside the U.S. but uh, everything outside of the U.S. so right. not in the United States, which is fine. And she started looking at it, and then she started realizing the impact that they have on on the world is humongous. But not only that, 
is that the main thing that she said, I was, you know, literally just so scared when I saw this, uh, when she said, um, we, we, um, we know that getting people angrier um, gives us better engagement, meaning more, <laughs> more likes, more comments, more views. Right. And literally just by pure, you know, capitalistic translation, mm-hmm. more engagement equals more money, more ads, spend, sure. more ad clicks. Um, and unfortunately, of all of the experiments that they happen to have run, I'm still hoping that this is one of those like Monsters Inc. situation where <laughs> right. laughter is better than, you know, being scared, that kind of thing. But they basically of all the experiments that they have run, anger is the the one that makes most money. So what she said, that one thing that she said that I was like, whew, like total like sort of cold sweat was, well, it's not like we set up our way to to do evil. But right. what we did was we knew that the machine has a um, we figured we found an optimized way to get to the largest quantity in terms of the bottom line. Right. And so um, at least so far that's the path. And so as a not as a not so much as a as a feature, but that's just what happened. Sure. But we chose not to interfere it. We chose right. to let it run wild. Right. And so when we chose to let it run, run wild, that is, that's the part where you're keeping a blind eye on it. But right. from a pure, you know, sort of, you know, technological, you know, part of it, it's, it's incredible. You kind of tap into yeah. something that you, you just couldn't otherwise, you know, sort of tap into and you get the social dynamics, etc. And com- in combination, it creates a very powerful force. I, I think I think you are so right on. And there's a couple things that I, I, I would love to dissect there. I know we're probably running out of time. Um, I, I think one going back to a much earlier comment, which was um, I think this generation, by and large, is becoming more interdependent. Their 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 thinking is more interdependent. That is fantastic and awesome and wonderful. The dilemma is that we have created infrastructures and 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 in ways by which a handful of very individualistic folks can take advantage very quickly without many checks at all. And so the dilemma is that that what are if you think about what Facebook is literally tying into, it's the desire to be interdependent. They're literally feeding <laughs> off of the population right. that wants to be as interdependent as possible. Right. And and right and and then they're then they're hacking, you know, neurophysiology and things like that of the the way pleasure and pain kind of works and right, you know, what feels good versus what doesn't feel good, right? All of those sorts of things. Um but it doesn't take a lot of folks to actually run a company that can have a massive impact on everyone all over the world because we've created the infrastructure by which a couple of voices can have a really, really large voice. Right. Um, and, you know, this is, I, I don't, don't even want to get started on, on technology because that could be a whole other show. <laughs> but um, my, my, view, my view of what technology is, is we, we take things that we can do often with our brains and our bodies and we push them out into technologies 
where they can evolve separately. They don't have to go through the DNA anymore to, to evolve and to modify and to, to change. And for that reason, they can evolve and change much more quickly. But what they can do is they can take something like a human voice, mm-hmm. right, which is spoken. And there's only so loud that I can yell with my actual voice. What we've done is to create technologies that can yell much, much louder to a much, to a much, right. right. Physiologically, I have a limit on what, on how loud my voice can be, but we've created technologies that allow amplifiers and magnifiers. And, and we've, we've allowed a handful of folks, I think, to, to have the keys to those. Um, And, and it's, that, that's a a scary place to be. Right, and not enough, um, you know, there, there, I almost feel like that it is perhaps through the lens of, you know, liberal arts students, college mm-hmm. students who have gone through, you know, an engineering program. I know you teach right. engineering, but, you know, like mm-hmm. specific engineering program, but through with that heavy liberal arts um, context where right. they not only will they understand that, but they might be able to say, hey, look one of the ways that I can help would be to work on regulations. So maybe yep. my next degree isn't to get a PhD in, in, exactly. in, in engineering, but in, in law. Um, yep. And I'm going to um, start to make changes, you know, mm-hmm. at, you know, in DC uh, um, and where, where the, the types of, the types of regulations, the types of, um, the types of, um, ideas that I will have will not get eclipsed by, you know, the engineers that are running at sort of like they're running at an unfair advantage today. They also have all the data to make the decisions that they need to make. When I, I think today when a, you know, the, the, the types of people who are qualified to make, you know, sort of um, um, decisions, you know, at a, at a, uh, at a regulatory basis, Mm-hmm. Um, they lack all of the knowledge, all of the experience, all of the data, all of the access right. to real-time changes and trends right. to even combat that. Right. You know, I almost feel like, sure, you can regulate all you want. You know, you're going to see a tech company such as Facebook be able to come out of a congressional hearing, sort of be like, yeah, well, there is not a whole lot you can do, and then yeah. our stock is going to jump up, right? right. That's, 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 that's against the the general sort of principles of how the physics is supposed sure. to work. Sure. I, I, I think you're right on, you know, this, this is always a lot of fun to, to sort of going back and see, yeah. go back. And again, we've been talking about reflection and things like that to go back and see the dots that get connected for the conversation yeah. that we've, we've had. And I, you know, I kind of feel like we've come full circle in the sense that th- this really is about educating a next generation mm-hmm. to, see a shiny new object for what it is and to say that is a neat new object i'm going to pick it up i'm going to try it out but i'm going to be a little bit critical of it right i'm yeah. i'm not just going to assume that it's the best thing that's ever come about because there will always be a next shiny object right you know that that's that's just the nature of the way things work and and to not just say oh this is something that i'm going to let take over and the hope is that a protection against that it is is to begin seeing things through many 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 different lenses mm-hmm. um because again if something passes the many 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 lenses test it might be legit 
<laughs> it may it may actually be really great if if you apply two or three or five lenses and they all say like yeah there's something wrong here well mm-hmm. okay the the way you get duped is when you look at it and go wow this looks great through this one lens and so i'm just gonna do it right and i mean right. I, I think that's in a lot of ways what happened with um again and I, i'm i'm not against facebook i'm not on facebook but i also know lots of folks who have um especially during covid have help their mental health has been hugely improved by the presence of things like Facebook sure. because it allowed them to have those connections um you know be in a in a in a, a shadowed way right it wasn't the the way they maybe would have wanted it face to face but it allowed them to at least continue to engage yep and so i you know i i I do want to say it's it's not that I think any of these technologies are necessarily inherently evil the technology itself yep it's it's the way the decisions are being made by the folks who are creating it as well as to put a little bit of burden on the folks who are using it as well um the other you know social media thing that i would say and this this is a hopeful piece and then unfortunately i i I need to run um is yik yak um so so i Mm -hmm. i can say at bucknell um when yik yak first came out there was a mess and there were in lots of places because of the way you could say things anonymously and not be tracked and the company wasn't giving over data. So, right. Mm -hmm. Folks felt that they could say whatever they wanted. It went away because my understanding is, you know, lawsuits and things of that sort, it didn't die a natural death here, but no, it was still right. You know, the, 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 the the rhetoric was still ramping up um, when it went away. It came back. I think about six months ago or something yeah, like that. Yeah, a new company sort of bought the assets and relaunched it. Right. And here's the thing that's interesting is it was what, you know, four or five years later, something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Um, as an administrator, I was watching bits and pieces of this kind of coming and going, yeah. oh, no, right? Here here we go again. And this time it might be even worse, right? Um, the students on their own basically rejected it. Oh, really? Due to the voting, the way voting happens, due to the way posting happens, they on their own, without us intervening at all, Mm. um, basically effectively removed it from campus. And that doesn't mean there weren't some things that were bad that happened. um, But it it does give me some hope that, again, if... That's really interesting. And by the way, that may have something to... I mean, literally, we have a... This is, you know, in, in college, you know, like... Um, terms, it is a new generation. Literally, is, four or five years ago, those it, students have graduated, and you have a new it, class it, of students. It absolutely <laughs> is, and I think yeah. you're 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 one hundred percent right. And so, you know, again, where where those students are going to be, um, what this next generation is going to be. I mean, I know you have kids. I have kids. Um, you know, I think the the trick is going to be who are the college students going to be in mm. five years and ten years um, who have lived through COVID. Um, at at some developmental phase, right, and it, and it'll all be different. Um, but you know, observing what happened in elementary schools, what happened in middle schools, what happened in high schools, um, the the difficulty that I see is that the there were inequities that were already present, mm. and I think COVID magnified them. And that's right. something I think higher ed is going to have to really consider is the range of of students who should go to college can go to college that the range of their not just their ability but their mindset 
mm-hmm. um, and what they've actually been exposed to during the course of their life, I think we're going to see a much wider range, um, mostly because of COVID, but but not entirely. I, I think yeah. it's because of a lot of lot of factors. Yeah. All right. Hey, Joe. Thank you again for all of your insights. You are incredibly thoughtful, and you know it's. It's really one of those, you know, when people describe, um, when I see, I don't know, Colbert, you know, interview someone coming in, they say, this is a, a lovely and talented, you know, so-and-so. <laughs> I think that's who you are. You, you really have, you know, a fascinating mind. And, um, and the combination of that jazz musician and the biomedical engineering um, really gives... And an incredible view, and and a very diverse and and um, a multifaceted way of looking at the world. So, I hope that we will do this again soon. I feel like sure. there's a lot more to, to talk about still. Uh, but I'll let you go um, now, and uh, we'll we'll hopefully catch up again soon. Absolutely, for sure. And uh, thank you again. This was just a, a real treat for me to get a chance to uh, to to just chat. I you started off by saying that you always learn something new, and I always learn something new from you. So thank you. All right. Well, take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K through 12 and higher education. Our website could be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Jeff Yan and Drew Albanicius. Thanks for listening.